Good morning to you all. It is great to see your faces. And um, I know that you're getting used to this, but I'm not, uh, because um, the, um, the times I preached here in the last year have been to that camera, which is not that easy. <laughs> and then when I preach for other churches, it's been on Zoom, having to watch myself preach, which is even more difficult. <laughs> so it's great to see you all. And thank you for the music. Um, I was brought up in the church through music. My father was a musician and was the music director at my local church, so I always say that uh, worship has always come to me primarily through music. Thank you for that. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. And before I read it, let us join together in our prayer of illumination. O God, send your spirit to us to open our hearts that we might discern your word amid the words of scripture that we read today so that in hearing your word we may be formed in the way of Christ for one another and for our world. Amen. Now, amazingly, um, uh, we printed out this whole text for you in the bulletin, so I'm glad we did that because I'd really like you to follow along. And if you'll note, the very first thing that comes out of the box is that we're in a boat together. And that's what the church is, you know. This is the nave. Did you know that? Church architecture is, is based on a boat. We're in a boat with Jesus. And the context of this story is a boat because this story is a collection of stories that begins after Jesus has given a bunch of parables and then he got in the boat with the disciples and you remember what happened. He was sleeping in the, the middle of the boat and a storm came up and was beating the boat and the disciples were terrified and Jesus calmed the storm. And then he went to the other side of the, of the lake and there he encountered a garrison demoniac. And then he comes to the other side of the lake. And that's where our scripture lesson begins this morning. But note, we are in a boat with Jesus throughout this text. I invite you to follow along as I read these words of scripture. When Jesus crossed again in the boat... To the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came to him, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands upon her so that she may be made well and live. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed him, and it pressed in upon him. Now, now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but in fact, grew worse. 
when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. And immediately, her hemorrhage stopped. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? Well, the disciples said to him, You see, you are in a crowd. They're pressing in upon you. How can you say who touched me? He looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Be healed of your disease. Now, while he was speaking, some people came from the leader of the synagogue to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But overhearing what they had said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw the commotion of people weeping and wailing loudly. When he entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put all of them outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in there where the child was. And he took her by the hand and said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years old. At this, they were overcome with amazement. And he strictly ordered them to tell no one about this, but told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> what a great series of stories, isn't it? And context makes all the difference in the world, because remember, they're in a boat and we're there with them. And there's lots of things that happens before this story that's important, including, including the exorcism of the Gerasene demoniac. You remember that scene, don't you? No one could contain this, this man, and so they chained him and put him in a graveyard. So in a sense, yes, the story starts in a boat with a storm at sea, a storm that is... Uh, that is beating the boat, terrifying the disciples. Perhaps the storm represent, represents the personification of evil in the world. In fact, some scholars say so. The principalities and powers that are beating against the church, right? 
And then what's the first thing Jesus does when he gets out of the boat? He goes into a graveyard. And there a man is chained. And before he exercises the demon, he asks for the demon's name. Do you remember? Do you remember what the demon's name is? It's classic. And it's important. It's critical for Mark's gospel. The demon's name is Legion, for we are many. Amazing. You see, this is not just the story about an exorcism of a lone individual. This is a story about the colonial occupation of Palestine. Legion is the occupying force of the Romans. So you could say, yes, this is an exorcism of a lone individual, but what really is going on there, I think, is an exorcism of a colonial disease. That's what's going on in the story. And that's the context for our morning scripture lesson. He gets in the boat, we're in there with him, remember, goes on to the other side, and there he encounters a leader of the synagogue whose uh, daughter is close to death and wants Jesus to come and lay hands on his daughter. He agrees to do so. And a crowd is coming in around them, and then we hear the story of this woman who's had a hemorrhage for 12 years. Now, it's important, to, um, it's important to recount, and you could read it here, how Mark tells this story, because it's critical to understanding this woman's ailment. It's not just that she's had a hemorrhage for 12 years, but <clears throat> she has been afflicted by a healthcare system that not only did not help her, but made her worse. She's suffered under them. Affliction, suffering, bleeding. Remember that. Because it's critical to the process of Mark's story of Jesus in uh, chapter 5 of Mark. And when she hears it is Jesus, she says, if I just touch the hem of his, of his garment, I will be healed. And so she elbows her way through the crowd and touches. Can you imagine the scene? Touching the hem of the garment of Jesus. And she feels the power immediately. And she feels the healing immediately. As does Jesus feel power coming from his body. Kind of amazing description of healing, isn't it? And then he says, well, well, well who touched me? The disciples are, are, are surprised by this because people are pressing in around him. There's a lot of people touching him, but Jesus has in mind one person because power has, been, has come from his body, a power of healing and, and, and connection has come from him. The woman, knowing that it is her, then comes and places himself before the feet of Jesus, and it is I, tells him the truth about the situation, and Jesus says, says um, your faith has made you well. Be healed of your disease. Now, you know what's fascinating about that story? Is Mark not only tells us about, about the suffering, the affliction of this woman under many physicians, which suggests that a healthcare system that in that ancient world was not attending to people like her. That it was not attending perhaps to her marginal status, perhaps, maybe. I think maybe Mark is making that point. But Jesus is. Jesus is connecting 
deeply to her status. Jesus is in solidarity with her. In spite, of, in, in, in spite of the systems out there that have forgotten her and drained her and exploited her, Jesus stands in solidarity with her. And it's important to note uh, the words. Remember what I said. She was afflicted, she suffered, and she bled. Now, the interesting thing about Mark's gospel, and Mark is a very good theologian, he would not do this by coincidence, those same words are used of Jesus later to describe his own suffering, his own affliction, and his own bleeding. The same exact words. What we have here in the story is, another, is, is in other words, a, a, a prefiguring of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. That's what we have here in the story. It's a really beautiful thing, but, but, but it's really important that we get this connection that Jesus is standing in solidarity, especially with this woman who has been exploited. And that's what Jesus does throughout his gospel. He stands against the principalities and powers of his world. That's what the story of the boat is about. That's what our story is about because we're in the boat with him. It's a powerful thing. So John Sabrino, um, of, uh, the theologian from El Salvador, says it well when he says that the crucified and risen Christ stands with crucified people at all times and places. And that's what he does in this story. And as if to put an exclamation mark on the whole thing, what, 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 what happens then at the end of the story? What happens at the end of the story? Um, you remember the girl who was at the point of death. Well, she dies. And Jesus raises her from the dead. The life, death, resurrection of Jesus. All in one story. All in one chapter. It's a very powerful thing. You've got an exorcism, standing against the principalities and powers of the world, standing in solidarity with the crucified of the earth, and then bringing life out of the death-tending ways of the world. You don't have to read the whole of the Gospel of Mark, although you can. You can go home. It's a very short Gospel. You can read it in 50 minutes. Did you know that? It's the shortest Gospel, but all you need to do is read this, read this text. Read this short text, and you get what Jesus is about with us here today as we are in the boat with Jesus, traversing from one shore to the other being called to stand in solidarity with people in our midst, in our ministries. That's what we do. That's what we're called to be and do, especially at this time and place, as you well know. One of my favorite theologians, Luke Bretherton of Duke University, he used to be, uh, he used to be a, a theologian in England and worked in community organizing on the side. And his, his theology reflects community organizing throughout um, in, a, in a relatively new book, Luke Brotherton says that we really never can understand our relationship to others, especially to the marginalized in our midst, especially to the minoritized in our midst, unless we contemplate the sufferings of Christ, unless we contemplate deeply the sufferings of Christ, or as I would put it in this story, unless we touch them, unless we can touch them, unless we can ponder them deeply, 
Or he says we will miscategorize our relationship with the poor. Now, what does he mean by that? Miscategorize it? He's talking about patronism. (laughs) He's talking about looking down upon. He's talking about charity, holding out a hand. But what Luke Brotherton wants to say is, is we're never going to understand and learn what we need to learn from the poor unless we unless we connect deeply with the sufferings of Jesus. Unless we can see things from the underside. Unless we can touch the hem of Jesus. Unless we can touch the hem. We'll never understand it. That was made true to me uh, early on in my ministry. I was uh, tutoring in our tutorial program at Brown Memorial Presbyterian Church in Baltimore, uh, a great program that served two um, underserved and underfunded inner city schools in Baltimore, elementary schools in particular. And um, one of my tutors was Sam Key. Uh, He was a remedial reader, and I sympathized with him deeply because so was I. (laughs) I was put in the remedial reading class. And so so was Sam, and so we talked about that. And uh, we connected deeply because of that, because Sam felt some shame at being uh, a remedial reader. He had some dyslexia, so do I, and so we related to each other deeply. For a half hour uh, each time we met, we did reading exercises, and frankly, they were a little bit boring. It wasn't my favorite thing to do. It was probably as good, as good for me as it was for, for Sam, because I wasn't diagnosed with dyslexia, and now I know that I, I had some, and so it was, it was good for me, too. But then during the last half hour, we got to read whatever we wanted to read, whatever interest Sam. And he uh, would go to the little tiny library that we had there, And he would always pick out biographies of African-American figures, heroes in history. And that last half hour, Sam kicked into another gear. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it was slow, but I was slow too. (laughs) But but, but he he read more fluently because it it was a reading that interested him. There was something else that happened in that last um, half hour. I became more of the student uh, in a remedial situation, reading Sam's primal history. We read about Frederick Douglass. It was a children's biography of Frederick Douglass. Frankly, in the mid-90s, I hate to say this, I didn't know much about that. Ida B. Wells, Rosa Parks, Richard Allen, the founder of the AME denomination. Um, it was an extraordinary thing to read this with Sam, but, but a real moment of transcendence came for me when we were reading the biography of Martin Luther King, and it was right before, it was right before the weekend and the day that, uh, of the Martin Luther King birthday. And when Sam got to the I Have a Dream speech, I saw something in him I'd never seen in him. His diction changed. It deepened. There was a power to it. He began to use hand gestures. It was was as if this speech was him. It was a moment of transcendence that I'll never forget. 
For you see, he was touching the hem of Jesus. And through him and through King, so was I. There was a healing power in that that I'll never forget. Because I realized I was learning from something from Sam that I needed deeply to learn. Again, I, I, be, I was the student. He was the teacher. I was rubbing up against the suffering, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's continued to this day. It's been a long process of transformation. As I'm sure you would acknowledge it has been for you, especially this last year, right? And especially as we get back to normal, or are we getting back to normal? I hope not. I hope not. I hope we never get back to normal. I hope we uh, continue to, to rub up against the sufferings, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and rub up against them through our African-American friends, through stories that are not our own, but stories that can touch us deeply and can bring a transformation in our lives. I hope that can be so. So that as we move together into this new day, we might hear the words of Jesus yet again to us. Your faith has made you well. Be healed of your disease. May it be so. Let us pray. Oh God, for the power of your story, the power of deeply connecting, the power of the suffering, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that continues to touch our lives and takes us to the places where we need to go, the marginalized places of our world where we learn what we need to learn, where transformation and healing take place. We thank you for the hem of Jesus, and we thank you for a faith that seeks to make us well. And the people said, Amen.